this is the Podgoblin's Hat, a podcast about the Moomins. This is episode 13, which is about sledding, the unbearable loneliness of existence, and marvellous tales. I'm Dave, a person who thinks nothing is certain. I'm Nina, a person who loves winter in all its bleakness. And we're reading all the way through Tuve Janssen's Moomin's books together. It's the first time for me. Whereas if I wrote my memoirs, the Moomins would be featured pretty regularly. We're reading the storybooks for children in order of publication, and eventually we will cover all of Tuve Janssen's Moomin stories. And today we're reading the first half of Moominland Midwinter, up to and including Chapter 3, if you're reading along. We're back. We're coming back strong because this is a good book, I think. Yeah. First up, we should talk about what editions we're reading. Yeah. Mine is the Puffin Moominland Midwinter colour-coded blue version. It's got a one singular picture, so it's not a composite picture. So I like that a bit more. Unlike Moomin Summer Madness, this picture is not much of a spoiler. Well, actually, I don't know. And actually, maybe it is a composite picture the more I'm looking at it. Tutiki is fishing with her back to us. But then on the bridge, there's like two silhouettes of Moomins. One that seems like a Moomin mama and one that might be Moomin troll. And they're sitting together, staring oh, out. That's weird. What's your one look like? Oh, I've broken with tradition. I'm not even reading on paper. <gasps> I'm reading the ebook from Puffin. So the cover illustration of mine is black and white but that's not puffin's fault that's my e-reader's fault it's got a picture of moomin troll at the top of a snowy bank sort of cowering atop a pair of skis and then in the foreground we've got a little my sort of sliding down another slope on her bum quite like it yeah no i've seen that front cover before that is a pretty good one yeah it's all right this is the edition that i used to read on live video chats on Facebook mm. during the pandemic, at the same time as my dad died. It has got marginalia from me in the past. Oh, nice. So are they notes about how you'd like to perform certain bits or about content? A third of it's about the book, a third of it's about my dad, and a third of it's about the pandemic. So they're very weird marginalia. I'm glad you've got that. The difference with having the ebook version is I now have data for you. Ooh. So it's much easier for me to make highlights and quotes and also for me to count certain things. So I can tell you that although there are six chapters in this book and we're reading the first three today, that's not half the book. That's barely 36% of it. The writing in this is It's beautiful. Great. Yeah. And... I mean, maybe that's down to Thomas Warburton, the translator, a little bit. Mm. I don't know. We've lost the witches about completely. We have, but I actually do like this different approach. Like the way it is in the chapter descriptions, it says the snowed up drawing room, the bewitched 
bathing house. Everything starts with a the, and it's like a yeah. strong statement. Strong chapter titles. I like them too. And this is another book that has a dedication. Yes. This one says, To my mother, to Tuve's mother Ham, which is an interesting choice in a book where, at least in the first half, the mother is very unavailable. <laughs> yeah, the, that's true. The mother is an idea. Yeah. And also, it's very much about Tutiki, who I'm sure we'll get to later after we've mm. done the synopsis, but is based on one of Tuve's lovers. Yeah. So what's our themes today? For all of the books in the Moomin series, we are having one of the themes be relationships. So that's one half. And what's the other half? The other half for this book is death. Now, death is very appropriate for this book. But what we need to sort of keep in mind as well is that we're thinking about death in the way that the tarot card of death functions. When you draw the tarot card of death, people get worried. They're like, oh no, mm. that means I'm going to die. The card doesn't mean that. It means the ending of one thing, which is always the beginning of another. When you're sad and when you're lonely And you haven't got a friend Just remember that death is not the end And all that you held sacred falls down and does not mend. Just remember that death is not the end. So death is transformation, it's metamorphosis, and that has some extra context for me at this moment because I am in a period of transition in terms of transitioning from a relationship to not being in a relationship anymore. Conscious uncoupling, as they kind of say. It's a very interesting time for me to be reading this book again. The last time I read it, my dad died. This time I read it, my relationship died. One thing that's very important, I'm sure you're all out there worrying about this, listeners. I know you are. The relationship, because it is changing from a romantic one to a friendship one, is not over, which means that Nick Fun's is still active. He's going to carry on in both of our lives. We're going to keep hiding him in places for the other one to find, regardless of us not being partnered or romantically involved. So listeners, if you're detecting, I don't know, a blossoming new energies in Dave's voice, in Dave's uh, persona, a new openness, <laughs> do get in touch. Dave is single. <laughs> I am, I am single, that is true, and I am definitely open to any possibilities. Uh, that said, it feels a little bit creepy to completely say it as clearly as, as Nina did, but I, I don't have to because she did it for me, I guess. That's what friends are for. Okay, so to the synopsis mobile. We're starting in winter. We've got a little reminder at the beginning that Moomins always sleep. November through April. It's their tradition. They've done it since the first Moomin existed. Moomin Valley is blanketed under snow, but a beam of moonlight creeps in through the window and hits a sleeping Moomin troll right in the face. And he wakes up. And this has never happened before. He tries to wake Moomin Mama. He can't, can't wake anyone. He wanders through the house and it's all locked up for winter. Everything's under dust sheets. 
It's really creepy. He gets lonely and scared. He cries, all the world is lost. And then the snow falls off the roof and buries the windows, which makes it like sort of eerie and dark. And so Mimin Troll gets a nightlight and goes to read Snufkin's letter for the spring. Snufkin always goes away in the autumn and always leaves a letter for the spring. Whilst Mimin Troll is looking around the house, just before he finds that letter, the Meersham tram makes a little cameo. Harks back to memoirs. Yeah. Then Moomin Troll gets hungry, he goes to the kitchen, but he finds only stale biscuits and a fermented bottle of Loganberry syrup. He starts reciting Snufkin's letter to himself to keep himself company. He sees someone blinking under the sink and he's like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. And so he sort of hurries over and he says, please come back. It does not come back. Uh, he tries to tempt it out with the Loganberry syrup and the biscuits. It doesn't work. The dweller under the sink does not look out again. So Mimintrol decides that he's going to go to the south and find Snufkin. All the doors and windows are frozen shut. Mumintrol runs, whining from room to room, trying them all. It's really tragic. This is my favourite Mumintrol. Like, I relate to this mm. kind of Mumintrol. Like, yeah. existential crisis Mumintrol is my Mumintrol. He's such a mood. Eventually, he manages to get out onto the roof via the hatch. <laughs> There's a new wide awake smell to the world. The landscape is transformed. This is the first time he's seen snow, but Mama's told him about snow so he knows what it is. And his velvet skin decided to start growing woollier. That would take some time, but at least a decision was made. So even though in his mind, in his heart, he's not ready for this, his body has decided to become ready for this. Right, and he's evolving. Like, yeah. he's the first Moomin to start this evolution. It's exciting. It's almost like the discovery of fire or any of those kind of it things. It is really exciting, but maybe it's devolving because when we had that letter from Moomin Mama about other kinds of trolls, the other kind of troll she drew was Wooly. So he starts to take inventory of the garden and like everything's where it should be, but everything's wrong. So the river is still there, but it's gone all black and listless. And the bridge and the mailbox are still there, but there's nothing in them. And the jasmine bush is still there, but it's just bare sprigs. And he thinks the world doesn't belong to him anymore. It belongs to someone else he doesn't know. Perhaps the Groke. There's a lot of talking about the Groke in this first half of the book for a character who's not here and doesn't seem to be doing anything. It's true. I mean, she may very well be here before the end of the book. I can neither confirm or deny. <laughs> But definitely one of the things Moomin Troll posits is that the winter is created by the Groke. That she's just sat on everything and made everything cold. When he saw her in the past, in the distance, she sat on a thing and froze it. Then we meet a new character. He's called the Squirrel with the Marvellous Tail. <laughs> he's a foolish little thing. But his tail is fantastic and he's looking for a new mattress. He's like, you know, when you're trying to leave the house and you're going, keys, keys, keys. Yes. Trying not to forget your keys. He's going around going, mattress, mattress, mattress. He needs a new mattress. But he keeps forgetting that he needs a new mattress. And he goes into the cave, which was probably the one discovered by Sniff, a Moomin troll in Comet and Moomin Land. The squirrel goes into this cave and there's been straw laid all over the floor and there's a big box, a big cardboard box with the lid ajar and this is new to the squirrel and it provokes some existential angst of its own. Is the box wrong or is he the wrong squirrel? Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the squirrel is a great character, very relatable, very funny, but also chapter two starts like a horror movie. The squirrel is out in the darkness and like he finds this weird box. Like there's a big horror movie vibe. Yeah. 
I mean, there's a couple of not nice things about to happen to the squirrel. Yeah, the squirrel doesn't have a great book. It's true. <laughs> so he decides to look inside the box, and inside the box is lovely, warm wool. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm looking for a mattress. Right, this'll do. And so he starts pulling out flocks of wool, and more and more flocks, and he's having such a great time. And then something tries to bite the squirrel's leg. What would bite someone? <laughs> well, we know who likes to bite. Little Mai emerges from the wool to confront him because he's taken half her sleeping bag and she's cross about it. She's like, oh, you, are you all there? Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> You're in a sleeping bag, snugly and warm, and someone starts like taking all the lining out of it. So she discovers the snow, immediately makes a snowball and chucks it at the squirrel. This whole book is about comparing Little Maya and Moomin Troll, right? They're the yeah. two main characters. And she takes to it like a duck to water. She loves it. She loves the snow. It literally says that she goes out to take possession of the winter. Yeah. <laughs> and the first thing she does is an active thing. There's snow. Not like, what is this new substance? How is this? Oh, this funny smell. That's how a moving troll experiences it. Little Mai's like, there's snow, grab snow, throw snow, yes. <laughs> <laughs> She's so great in this book. And it's not just her in that box. It's her and her sister. The Mimble's daughter is there as well. She's called the Mimble now. I've got a question here, Nina. Why are Little Mai and the Mimble, who in the last book we read, were part of the family and in the house? Why are they in the cave? Why are they in the cave for the winter? Why didn't they bed down with the Moomin family? Well, they're not Moomins, so perhaps their rituals around hibernation are a bit different. Maybe they don't have to line their stomachs with pine needles. Maybe they have a different going to bed date. It's very possible that when everyone was bedding down, Little Mai said, I want to go in the cave this year. Yeah, it's the kind of thing she would say. But it is an interesting surprise. I mean, we know why they're out there. It's because it's Plot convenient reasons. for the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So she's discovered snow and snowballs and then she immediately discovers slipping, falling and sliding and sits down very hard. And she starts to think, I could improve on this falling and sliding business. Yep. Would a cardboard box make a good toboggan? Because the mimble's not waking up, so dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, the squirrel is lost and can't remember where he lives. Moomin Troll is marching toward the south. The wood is deadly silent. It's getting dark. It's so lonely. He's actually starting to feel cold. <laughs> he can see the lonely mountains in the distance. It's so far away. And he thinks, if only I knew that Snufkin knew that I'm climbing these mountains for his sake, then I could do it. But all alone, I'll never manage it. Yeah. It's very relatable. It's Absolutely. Like, if somebody knew that I was being really brave. Yeah and could appreciate my bravery, I could do it. But with no audience, it's not happening. I mean, I 100% relate. So he decides to go home, and he decides he's going to wind all the clocks in the house because maybe that makes spring come faster. He's sort of going back on his tracks, and he finds that something else has made tracks across his tracks, which means that somebody else in Moomin Valley is alive and awake. So he starts shouting for them not to leave him alone, and then he becomes really frightened because what if nobody answers? So then he stops shouting and he sort of makes his way clumsily back to the house, whimpering with his snout in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the time when you're experiencing Moomin Troll in the books, because he's got an audience, he's putting on a front. Yeah. He's being like, I am brave and strong and a, a great Moomin. And this is all like completely stripped away. Yeah. 
like this is probably my favorite Moomin book, but it wouldn't be as good without all of the rest of them. What's great about this book is the contrast. What happens to Moomin Troll when you take everything away from him? That's why it was a good book, I thought, to read during the pandemic, you know, because that's what we all experienced. Who are we when you take away some of the big parts of our lives? What is left of us? So he sees a light and he's like, oh, it's so soothing. And so he goes up to it. And what it is, is a candle stuck in the snow, surrounded by a structure made of snowballs, snow lantern. And across this structure from him is too ticky. And she is watching it and singing to herself. Her song is about things that one can't understand, like the Aurora Borealis. Aurora Borealis, the icy sky at night. She is reassured by uncertainty. And um, Women Draw doesn't agree, but he's desperate for company. Tutiki decides it's time to go home, and she takes the candle with her before the rope comes and sits on it. And they go back to the bathing house on the end of the pier. And Moomin Troll is sort of remembering about summer and, how, oh, he used to dive from here and, you know, his bathing robe is in the cupboard and things like that. Too Tiki seems to be staying in the bathing house. And she takes off her cap and it just, like, magically flies and puts itself away like she's Mary Poppins or something. Yep. She's not, though. It's not magic. Well, we don't know that yet. Moomin Troll covets the cap. <laughs> Too Tiki says, you don't need a cap. you got ears, you can wiggle them to keep them warm. But his feet are cold and two woolen socks come over to him of their own accord and sort of lay themselves in front of his feet. And something is playing the flute under the table. At this point, Too Tiki explains that there are eight very small invisible shrews and they're the ones making things happen. And they're invisible because they're shy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moomin Troll wants to assert his family's property rights. Yep. He's like, this is daddy's bathing house. And Tutiki says, you may be right and you may be wrong. In the summer, it belonged to a daddy. In winter, it belongs to Tutiki. <laughs> right. <laughs> Snufkin isn't there at the moment, but Tutiki is like Snufkin's spiritual like successor. Yeah. I mean, I think almost Tutiki takes the philosophies of snufkin and like improves upon them takes them one f- step further yeah i mean here's some examples of tutiki's thoughts like she says all things are so very uncertain and that's exactly what makes me feel reassured and that is very much my jam and it's not always how i see the world it's very easy to agree with that philosophy it's actually very hard to enact that philosophy in your life yeah and it's interesting that you're seeing her as Snufkin's spiritual successor because she makes Moomin Troll so uncomfortable with it. Moomin Troll loves this in Snufkin, but take it one step further and put it in a different person and it really rubs him the wrong way. Well, I don't know about that. That's not how I read it. No? I think it does rub him, but not necessarily the wrong way. I think that this is also a romance. Okay. Some romances maybe begin with things being a little bit overwhelming. Mm. Somebody is so cool or different that you're sort of stopped in your tracks but i think that the same things that call out to moomin troll from snufkin call out to him from tutiki he finds her quite challenging i think at least in this half of the book it's a lot of friction that's how a lot of romances begin but also i i don't think he completely found 
Snufkin unchallenging. That's true. The thing is, when he first met Snufkin, he was also with Sniff. And so Sniff mm. was so challenged by Snufkin. He meets Tutiki on his own. Yeah, and he's so vulnerable. So they have some soup. Moomin Troll asks questions. Tutiki doesn't answer them in a way that he would like. Moomin Troll, again, trying to assert his ownership of the bathing hut, tells her about his bathrobe in the cupboard and she says you must never open that cupboard you'll have to promise me and he goes i won't promise anything <laughs> <laughs> and moomin troll now really wants to open that cupboard now he's been told he can't and he decides to go home to sleep and on his way home he's looking out for the groke he goes up through the roof he goes into the other sleeping moomins and he realizes that although he is not of the outside snowy world he's not of the sleeping moomin world either he doesn't belong anywhere Meanwhile, little Mai is having a different time. She can't wake her sister, and this makes her cross. The cardboard box, which she has been using as a sled, is now soggy and broken. She can't get to sleep, so she gets up again. She goes sliding out in the lonely dark night, with the secure poise you usually have if you are a Mai. She sees the lights in the bathing house as well. She hears the wolves howling, and she's like, ah, it curdles the blood in a really delighted way. And she heads to the Moomin House. She heads to the Moomin House knowing that that's where she can find resources to do her yes. Mayish behaviours. <laughs> One of the, the bits that happened earlier on in this book is that when she falls over for the first time on the snow, she's immediately outraged, angry. But then 30 seconds later, she imagines what it would have looked like to have seen her fall and starts laughing. Yeah. She's like, is that what I look like with my legs in the air? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> she's such a breath of fresh air she takes to the winter yeah like she takes to everything which is such the contrast for our moomin hero moomin troll starts a new routine in the shut-up house by himself he's wound up all the clocks they all tell different times so maybe one of them's right and they go off at random and that makes him feel nice the sun doesn't really rise which he refuses to believe he goes to the shore daily to wait for <laughs> snufkin he mopes so much in this book he mopes <laughs> so much i know it says for days and days he's doing this he burns candles in the drawing room the dweller under the sink still does not come out he finds pictures in the attic and pastes them all over the walls, but especially all around Moomin Mama. Yep, he kind of makes her into a little shrine. And he does constantly bother her. <laughs> she manages to mostly not wake up, but he really does his best to like wake her up. Dangers abound. The groke is abroad. The thing in the cupboard in the bathing house lurks dangerously. And thievery is happening. The silver tray and the egg cosy, and a number of other things are missing. This makes Moomin Troll very cross. And he decides to go and ask Tutiki about it, even though he is punishing the sun by hiding until it comes back. Yeah, <laughs> that's very relatable as well. I'm not saying I like these qualities in myself, but I understand what it's like to say, I'm going to punish the sun. He's so vengeful. <laughs> so on his way to see Tutiki... He finds a snow horse, a horse made of snow. It's got a broom for a tail and it's got creepy little mirrors for eyes that reflect him back at himself. He really doesn't like it and he takes a long way around to avoid walking past it. It's a Tutiki creation and she's sitting happily looking at it and singing a song about it. Yep. And she's going to pour water over it and then it'll freeze and then the horse will gallop away with the great cold. Moomin Troll shows up and says, someone's carrying off things from Daddy's house. 
And she goes, that's nice, isn't it? You got too much stuff. And then they have a sort of like song battle. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a rap battle, a song off. Yeah. I mean, this is an interesting thing. Like, that's one of the ways that Tutiki is kind of Snufkin's spiritual successor. She sings, she creates, yeah. she's an artist. But yeah, like you say, it challenges Moomin Troll. It makes him competitive. Tutiki is someone he doesn't understand who he probably will grow to understand through the book. And that makes her not just a person, but a metaphor for winter. Mm. At this point, he doesn't understand the winter. No, and he does not understand Tutiki. By the end of the book, he may understand both of those things. So they're having this song battle. Tutiki's is a joyful song about the snow horse. <laughs> and Moomin Trolls is a very angry song about the sun. <laughs> <laughs> and then out of nowhere, something comes barreling down the hill and smashes into Moomin Troll. And it's Little Mai. Wearing the egg cosy sliding on the silver tray. <laughs> of all the people that Moomin Troll might have hoped would wake up, Little Mai is like the one that he didn't hope for. But he's still so relieved to see her. Of course, because it's, she's familiar. But then at the same time, the way that she responds to his nostalgia is so great. Lil Mai lives in the moment. She's got no interest for any of that stuff. He's trying to talk about, oh, isn't it so cold and don't you miss the summer? And she's like, Oh, you're the same old Moomin. <laughs> You've been posting pictures all over your mama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next. Exactly. She like reads him, <laughs> like gives him shade and then points out like, you know, the best thing is to slide on the ice. Why yeah. are you doing that, you weirdo? Now we hear about that the great cold is coming, that this cold that's happening isn't even the biggest or the worst cold. And Tutiki smells it coming and she warns everyone about and it. And the great cold is a person too or a manifestation anthropomorphic personification yeah it's not just the name of a kind of cold it's a, a kind of god yeah or goddess she tells moomin troll and she tells little mai and she tells a squirrel don't stay out tonight make sure you're wrapped up warm she says she'll come in the afternoon when the sky changes to green and moomin troll's like it's a she then and uh, Tutiki's like, yes, and very beautiful, but if you look her in the face, you'll be frozen to ice. So that night, Moomin Troll decides to visit Tutiki. Tutiki explains that the winter is for the shy and the rum, and Moomin Troll complains that even little Mai doesn't want to talk about the real world. And Tutiki's like, but which one is real? And then little Mai joins them. And then the lady of the cold, all white and beautiful freezing everything she touches sort of comes into view moomin troll's got his snout pressed to the window when she comes and his snout starts to sort of freeze to the glass and he's like oh that's really cold like everything she looks at even turns really really cold and they all huddle near the stove and the little shrews climb into little mai's lap because they're so frightened it turns out the squirrel has forgotten what tutiki told him he's still out he's confused he doesn't know where he lives and he sees the beautiful lady of the cold and she sees him and she bends down to stroke behind his ears and then goes. And Tutiki's like, oh no, oh no. They go and rescue the squirrel, but it's too late. He's frozen solid. He's dead. Or is he? Look at the footnote. Ah, this is an interesting difference between the paper book and the ebook. I don't have the footnote. Well, I do, but they're right at the end of the book, so they don't come up when they should. That's a real shame, because this is maybe my favourite footnote in a book in some ways. So go on, read us a footnote. The context for this is, When one's dead, then one's dead, said Tutiki kindly. 
This squirrel will become earth all in his time, and still later on they'll grow trees from him, with new squirrels skipping about in them. Do you think that's so very sad? Star by it. And then at the bottom of the page, in case the reader feels like having a cry, please take a quick look at page 146. And when you turn to page 146, and I guess this is a spoiler. Yeah, but it's a spoiler she wants you to spoil. And you don't have to read anything. You just see a couple of pictures of a very alive squirrel hopping around. When you're standing on the crossroads that you cannot comprehend, just remember that death is not the end. Like all deaths, it's not just about death, it's about rebirth. You have to have that little star by the death. Yeah. So that you can understand that in the spring, things thaw, people are born, new life begins. But I love the idea of having a footnote that tells you to turn to another part of the book to see the end. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, again, it's also a little bit of consideration for younger readers, making mm. sure that, you know, if they are indeed absolutely devastated by the idea of death. And Moomin Troll is. Moomin Troll really takes this to heart. He's really upset. He sort of really wants to focus on it and have a funeral, but he also doesn't really want anyone to mention that the squirrel is dead. It doesn't sugarcoat the death. No, it talks about like the body being stiff and cold. Yeah, it's very serious about it. Little Mai is not devastated. <laughs> Little Mai thinks, I can use that nice tail for a muff. Yeah, she really wants the muff, but she also says, like, what's the point in being sad? Yeah. I'm always either glad or angry. Like, those are her two settings. So she says, like, if she sees that cold lady... She'll bite a leg. She'll commit vengeance for that squirrel, but she also wants the squirrel's tail because it's not using yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Moomin Troll is very offended by the notion of removing the tail from the squirrel. So he decides he wants to hold a funeral for the squirrel. So there are several elements to this funeral. Number one, he decides to forego coffee in honour of the dead squirrel. He wants to don a black band. He manages to wake Moomin Mama up just enough for her to tell him where the drawer of important stuff that you use occasionally is. So he puts a bow on his tail. He puts a little black bow on Tutiki's hat and he tries to make little Mai wear a black bow. She's like, if I'm sad, I don't need a black bow to show it. And he's like, but you're not sad. And she's like, exactly. The black bow won't make me sad. <laughs> Moomin Troll wants to bury the squirrel, but the ground is too hard. So they just sort of lay the squirrel in front of the snow horse. And one of the little invisible shrews plays a mournful tune. And then the snow horse wakes up as a little sniff of the squirrel, which Moomin Troll has wrapped in a bathing cap, puts it on his back and runs away into the distance. End of part one. 
I would say that even in this chapter, Moomin Troll and Tutiki are coming together a little bit yeah. more as characters. So we'll keep watch on how that relationship goes. I mean, maybe my idea that they are a romance is a little bit coloured by the fact that Tutiki is based on Tuve's great romance of her life. Yes. But I do think it's there regardless, just as it is there with Snufkin. Crucially, though, I don't believe that the Snork Maiden was mentioned once. <laughs> He's had a lot of pining for Snufkin. Yeah. He's had a lot of pining for his mother. He's had some complicated interactions with Tutiki. But he has not thought of the Snort Maiden once. No. Just saying. <laughs> so what did you think of the first half of the book, I guess, before we go into some topics? You're right. This is the best one. I mean, it's a banger. I always forget how good the writing is. Mm. Like, it's just really poetically, beautifully written. It's got lovely nature writing. Yeah. It's got lovely feelings writing. Yeah. I mean, it's great. It's just really good. I mean, there's some stuff I disapprove of here and there. Like, I'm not too keen on the joke about people being foolish or stupid. Those kind of jokes do pull on me, you know, in my, my modern understanding, my mm. current way of thinking. And there's a little bit of gender essentialism, which we'll get to in a bit when we get into our topics. But, I mean, it's just really good writing that you completely yeah. can lose yourself in. My first subheading is loneliness. So Snufkin, as in the beginning of Moomin Summer Madness, is gone. He's left this note, which is like, keep your pecker up. You'll have me again in the spring. Cheerio. Something like that. Little note on peckers. <laughs> Go on. I looked up the original etymology of it because I was like, it can't mean penis. No. Doesn't mean nose. It means nose slash mouth, right? It comes from beaks. Yeah. Obviously, when you think it through, keep your nose up, keep your mouth up, keep your head up. I wonder if that's Thomas Warburton or is it Tuve? I feel like it's a British yeah. idiom, isn't it? So it may very well be Thomas Warburton. It's a really short note, but Moomin Troll starts using it as a kind of mantra. I think yes, it's really interesting. it's real interesting. And he changes it, he morphs it as well, he sort yeah. of slightly rewrites it. Yeah, for his own purposes, in a way that... I think is actually really healthy. For all that we can laugh a little bit at what Moomin Troll does in general, everything that he does makes some form of sense. Yeah. Winding the clocks, singing his letter from Snufkin, like putting the pictures up around the house, getting obsessed with his bathing robe. They're all things that, whilst they might be a bit silly from the outside, they're not silly from the inside. They're all actually really good coping mechanisms. Absolutely. I mean, this is one of the reasons I thought it would be a good thing to read during the lockdowns, right? Because yeah. I was like, here's a good example of what we can learn from these experiences. You know, he's immediately cast out in the winter, but over time he makes his peace with this new experience, with yeah. finding these new facets of himself. And I, I just felt like we all needed to think a little bit more like that. I don't know how I was at communicating that because I was also grieving. Um, but it's also a, an appropriate thing for grief. You know, you're suddenly in a new world when someone dies and learning how to cope, you do stuff like yeah. he does. So the other sort of 
thing that he does that's to do with his loneliness is the little shrine around Moomin Mama. He is posting the pictures everywhere, but he's putting the most summerish ones all around Moomin Mama as if to bring her alive, mm-hmm. to have a place to go, to think about Moomin Mama. Right, and it's it's also worth noting as well that, as we said earlier on, this book is dedicated to Tuve's mother. So the shrine that Moomin Troll is building is maybe a kind of shrine that she is building. To Ham, yeah. Making a shrine around your mother is the kind of thing that I feel people do when their mothers or fathers, in my case, are getting quite old. Yeah. And they want to like remember them and remember what they were. And in a way, that is what this is a kind of metaphor for, right? Yeah. When she's hibernating, she is not the alive, vibrant Moomin Mama that he knew. And maybe this is the first time, thank God, that he has to deal with his codependence, right? (laughs) Yeah. And he is having to deal with it in a really big way. He's doing all the lighting of the candles as well. That sort of seems very much like what you would do if you were grieving, keeping the candles alight around the bodies and the ideas of the dead. It's interesting that he's able to feel so lonely next to his whole family they're all there yeah but he just feels like he's on another planet he says it's like he's rolled out into space we don't know yet who all of them are though because we don't know who's in the house we know that Lil Mai and the Mimble aren't in the house and that Moomin Mama is and we can assume that Moomin Papa is there yeah we don't know if Sniff's there he wasn't there in the last book but he might have come back (laughs) we don't know if the Snore Maiden's there if she is She's not awake, so she doesn't know that yeah. he's not giving her any attention, but he isn't. He didn't make a stride around her. And then he has that funeral as well. He's directly engaging with death in the most serious of ways. The way that he's so interested in the ceremony around death, and he wants to do everything right. And he's the only one there that is interested in that. Moomin Troll takes the responsibility. His parents aren't there, and so he's like, I am the adult here. And that's often what he's doing in this book, is trying to be an adult in a situation where no one cares. And that's what happens when your parent dies, Mm -hmm. is you have to organise the funeral, you have to be the grown-up. He's got very interesting ideas about what a funeral is. Like He feels like they should be walking really slowly and not talking too loud. He wants burial shroud i guess he wants for the squirrel that's what the bathing cap is to adorn the squirrel in some way or to protect him from the cold even though he literally can't feel it anymore he's got quite a monotheistic religious approach to the death whereas what happens to the actual body is very pagan yeah is picked up and carried by a snow horse off into the distance in a beautiful way that moomin troll can't quite appreciate yet he wanted to put the squirrel in the ground yeah that's what he felt should have happened and that's not what happened no and if that picture that we saw a little premonition of in the footnotes is the actual squirrel good job he didn't yeah <laughs> and good job little my didn't take the tail no matter how marvelous <laughs> it was do you there's a lot of magic in this book it's an appropriate time for magic just as midsummer was as we said in that episode this is the time of the year when the spirits are dangerous and things are bleak and you might not live and we've seen that literally in this book Mm. he has a stone in his pocket that reminds him of the summer yeah and that is an incredibly magic 
thing. Here's an object. I will imbue my memories, a sense of that. It's from that place. So I will bring that with me. I'm going to imagine it warmed by the sun. Yeah. And so he's got yeah. that stone in his pocket. And that's very magical. The shrews are a kind of magic. Yeah. You know, they're moving these things around, as we said, like Mary Poppins or whatever. There's also this kind of nature of like, so Moomin Troll at this point in the book, he's the only boy. Oh, the squirrel's a boy, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. There's fewer boys. Yeah. He's surrounded by women. And not just in terms of like actual women that he knows, but that the deities are all women. Mm. The great cold, the lady of the cold, she is a woman. Yeah. But the Groke is also a woman. Yeah. The kind of devil version of the winter. Like the way that he has a shrine to his mother, she mm. becomes like a goddess to him. Yeah. There's a direct quote that says that she has a womanly understanding of all that preserves traditions. There's two different meanings that could have. It could be witchcraft. Yeah. It could be the wise woman. Like women's job in terms of magic has a lot mm. been to preserve the traditions, to pass down the magic to their daughters. Mm. It's also a very good way of describing how women reproduce patriarchy. Yeah. And that women within patriarchy are often given the job of training the young boys and girls to be the positions that they are considered to hold within society, teaching them at home, in schools. Yeah. Certainly men do that too. But it's interesting. Womenly understanding of traditions can be real horrible. Yeah. And really oppressive. As well as really liberating and counter-patriarchy yeah. like yeah. witchcraft. One of my favourite bits of magic or bits of two-ticky lore in this book that we didn't cover in the synopsis is that two-ticky's song, she has a song where the verses make sense, but the chorus can't make sense. Moomin Troll says something along the lines of, I understand it now. And she says, no, you don't. You yes. can't. You can't <laughs> understand it because it is not understandable. No one understands it. And that's the great unknown other, as my dad would say, the kind of different approach to understanding of God or gods or the universe, this impossible to understand bigger than us thing. And Moomin Troll is scared of the unknown and he is scared of the other. Tutiki is not scared of either of those things. And that is exciting as well as terrifying to Moomin Troll. A wild white horse that goes a gallop, stamping o'er the ice into the night. A white and solemn horse that goes a gallop, carrying the great cold upon his back. What do you mean? asked Moomin Troll. I mean that we'll spill river water over him tonight, Tutiki said, and then he'll freeze during the night and become all ice. And when the great cold comes, he'll gallop off and never return any more. I wassail, a wassail, throughout our town. Our carpet is white and our eyelid is brown. Our wassail is made of the good island true. Some nutmeg and ginger, it's the best we can brew. I tried to find sort of echoes in folklore of the snow horse. Marilude is a midwinter tradition. It happens typically between Christmas and New Year. It's associated with wassailing, which is singing, going door to door. And that singing you're doing partly like you'll go and wassail the trees to remind them to like wake up in spring. 
but you also go door to door and you'll have similarly a song battle, perhaps, of rude rhymes with the person who lives inside. The Marilude is a hobby horse. It's a real horse skull. It looks actually a bit like the snow horse in this. And then it's covered in a shroud and it'll be decorated a little bit like a Christmas tree with all like jangly bits and shiny bits. And it comes to your door with the wassailers and it likes to play tricks. Sitting down by the fire While we poor wassail boys do wait in the mire And so pretty maid with your silver-headed pin Please open the door and let us come in They do look terrifying, absolutely terrifying. That's part of the point. The snow horse in this book doesn't look unterrifying. Yeah either i mean it's not a cute picture like there's a lot of cute pictures in the moomins that's a very serious picture then i thought about odin's horse slipnir odin is thought to be one of the precursors to our idea of father christmas he was said to fly through the air on his eight-legged white horse slipnir and bring presents But also, Odin is terrifying. Very scary dude. And then number three, which you also know from the Terry Pratchett death books, is Binky. Yes. Binky, death's white horse. That's right. Who is a real living horse. In the Rider Waite Smith tarot, and some people will know it as Rider Waite, but don't miss the Smith off because that's the woman that did the art. The death card is riding a white charger, yeah? The... Death card is a sort of skeletal figure in armour on a white steed, a white horse. Shall we move on from that to like more myth talk with the Lady of the Cold? I was looking for echoes in Kidlet first of the Lady of the Cold. And so obviously there's the Snow Queen yep. in Hans Christian Andersen. As we've brought up in the past. Yeah. She gives kisses to a little boy and the more she kisses him, the more he loses his life and his heat. So that's a very similar power. I also think it's interesting in The Snow Queen. She's not actually presented as evil. She's sort of amoral. She's selfish, but she's not She's not trying to take over the world. She doesn't have particularly bad intentions. She's just presented as a force of nature, which I think is like this Lady of the Cold in this book. There's also the witch in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe in Narnia, C.S. Lewis. That is an evil Snow Queen. Well, she's Lilith, isn't she? She's the original sort of sin of women in yeah. the world because it's Christian myth. But yeah, no, she is evil, but she doesn't present as evil. No, she's beautiful. That's the way that she's like this lady of the code. She comes to you with Turkish delights yes. and makes you want to join her in her sleigh. A great lady, taller than any woman that Edmund had ever seen. She also was covered in white fur up to her throat and held a long, straight, golden wand in her right hand and wore a golden crown on her head. Her face was white, not merely pale, but white like snow or paper or icing sugar, except for her very red mouth. It was a beautiful face in other respects, but proud and cold and stern. So, um, points for misogyny for C.S. Lewis. Well, indeed. (laughs) If we're getting points for misogyny, then there's going to be a lot of happy men. I'm going to read you a little bit about the Snow Queen as well. The snowflakes became larger and larger. At last they looked like great white fowls. All at once they sprang aside and the great sledge stopped and the person who had driven it rose up. 
The fur and the cap were made entirely of ice. It was a lady, tall and slender and brilliantly white. It was the Snow Queen. Are you still cold? asked she, and she kissed him on the forehead. And there's a really good picture, which we'll put in the show notes. I'll show to Dave now. Oh, it's a good picture. Oh, that was colder than ice. It went quite through his heart, half of which was already a lump of ice. He felt as if he were going to die, but only for a moment, for then he seemed quite well and he did not notice the cold all about him. Now I shall give you no more kisses, said she. If you did, I should kiss you to death. The Snow Queen has been adapted into Frozen, the Pixar Disney story. And one of the ways that that story relates to the original text is it takes the Snow Queen and makes her good. Mm. Like Elsa is the Snow Queen and she has this terrible power, but the power doesn't have to be terrible. Stopping her from connecting to her power, that's the enemy. The men that are trying to control her, they're the enemy. And in fact, Elsa needs to let it go. That moment when you do let it go can be very damaging. Yeah. Not everything is nice. Sometimes things are messy, not fun. But in the long term, it's a part of a process that you need to deal with in Mm. order to get to where you need to get to. And that's what we're seeing with Moomin Troll in this book. This makes me think of the TV series Once Upon a Time, which I doubt you're familiar with at all, Nina. You've spoke to me about it, but I haven't watched it. I do enjoy it at times. It lasted a long time, so not all series are as strong as each other. But when they get to kind of cover the Snow Queen, they have both Elsa and the Snow Queen. Mm. And so the original Snow Queen is is also sympathetic in a different kind of way, but in a villain way. Mm. Um, so they basically bring both the versions of the Snow Queen to kind of interact and be each other's antagonist. Look at yourself. So much fear. Imagine what you could do if you only learned to control it. You had a chance to do so once, but... You squandered it. Fortunately, for me, the more frightened you are, the stronger those chains will hold. And that's all I need. For now. You. Out of my way. I've got another modern kid lit echo, which is The Ice Children by M.G. Leonard. It is a fable about global warming, and it's got a Snow Queen character who, at the beginning, you think of her as really bad. She's doing really bad things. But it turns out, actually, she's being killed by the planet heating up, and she's only defending herself. She's got really fun sort of sidekick in Jack Frost, and there's like a fun winter wonderland thing. But the book starts with like, a crime, I guess you could say, that the Snow Queen has enacted. The main character's little brother is found frozen to ice in a park. Once upon a warm winter, in the dawning darkness of December, a boy was found in the city rose garden. He was dressed in navy-starred pyjamas. The pale skin of his face was duck-egg blue and sparkled with snow crystals. Every strand of his fine blonde hair was an ashen icicle. His eyes were closed, his expression serene. 
His feet were submerged in a pedestal of ice. The boy looked like a statue. He was frozen solid. A police officer gazed with horror at the lifeless figure, thinking of her own children, tucked up in their beds. How is this possible? Sarge says a five-year-old boy matching his description was reported missing half an hour ago. His name is Finn Albedo. Without taking her eyes off the child's face, she removed her hat and nervously ran her fingers through her hair. Doctor, his parents are on their way here now. What am I going to tell them? And it's, it's really cool. I think you would enjoy it. And it's also one of those, like, reclaiming the Snow Queen or right. becoming more sympathetic to the Snow Queen and the fact that she's just a force of nature and she's just doing what her job is. I mean, like so many fairy tales have women characters mistreated by the way that they've been written. And so there's such a fertile space to reclaim those. So then I looked for echoes in mythology. So the closest I could find in Norse myth was Skadi. So she's the daughter of a frost giant, Tiazi. She's the goddess of skiing and snowshoeing, and she's quite vengeful. And the other one I thought of was the Kayach, the Irish and Scottish Old hag, she's called. She's the winter witch. This is a sort of more scary, powerful older woman. There's a few different characters in the Moomin's books that come up here and there who are like these kind of more human-like, larger creatures that are kind of unknowable. Mm. In Moomin's and the Flood, you've got that kind of old man that has his little world made of sugar. <laughs> and then you've got the whole goblin in the in Finn family Moomin troll. And I think the Lady of the Cold is another one of those. It's like there's a, a bigger, more serious mythology around the cute, kind of knowable mm. mythology of the Moomin's. As I've mentioned, Tutiki is based on a real person. You are always saying her name like off the cuff really easily. So what's her real name? Tuliki Pietola. Yeah, that's her real name, listener. <laughs> she was called Tuti for short. And when they met each other, their meet cute, their real life story was that they were at a party and both of them wanted to be in charge of the music. And so they both <laughs> sort of got, got the records out. Tuve was 41, the same age as me, when she met Tuti, which is nice and hopeful for my future. Tuti was 38 and they remained together till Tuve died. So like kind of 50 years or so. These are some little quotes from Tuve's letters to Tuti. I got to say, they're very much relationship goals. I'm so unused to being happy that I haven't really come to terms with what it involves. Suddenly my arms are heaped full of new opportunities, new harmony, new expectations. I feel like a garden that's finally been watered so my flowers can bloom. Wow. That's a nice one. You see, I love you as if bewitched, yet at the same time with profound calm. And I'm not afraid of anything life has in store for us. Tuliki, I long to read more in the book of you. I long for you in every way, and I'm more alone with all these people around me than when I was wandering about on my own. 
thinking of you. Very relevant to this book. Yeah. And then there's a picture we'll share in our show notes. <laughs> Do you see it? Yeah. So this picture is the first picture she drew of Tutiki. It's not quite the same as what Tutiki looks like in the books, but it's a start towards Yeah, it. it's a prototype. She's got the stripy top. And Tuve described it as a new little creature that isn't quite sure if it's allowed to come in. Oh. And that is kind of what Tutiki is in these books. Like she is really wise and like knows everything. And like the real person she's based on, she's an artist and she's got great philosophy and all of the things that Tuve saw in her lover. But she also doesn't come into the Moomin house. No. And the winter's her time. She lives with the shy. She lives with the rum. They were relationship goals. They moved to that island. <laughs> For half the year or whatever, they were seasonal about it. But they spent a lot of time, just the two of them, on an island, making art, talking. Not talking. Having fun. A squirrel's tail is part of his identity. It's part of his name, even. He's the squirrel with the marvellous tail. It's clearly, like for Moomin Papa and like for Moomin Troll, a very important part of him. And you can understand. I mean, if you've ever seen a squirrel, it's like as big as the rest of their whole body. Yeah. It's integral to their ability to balance and to climb. I mean, it isn't just that he has a great tail, though, because he, he does have quite a high opinion of himself. He also thinks maybe we should call him the squirrel with the lovely whiskers. That's right. He's like, oh, yeah, my tail's good, but what about my whiskers? <laughs> it's a very Moomin Papa-ish attitude to his own body. That's right. Which is very enviable. So after he dies, little Mai wants to use his tail as a muff because she's not finding the egg cosy that she has been wearing to be warm enough. And Moomin Troll is so offended by this notion. He says, he must have his tail with him in his grave. So why is that? Because as little Mai says, it's not like he's going to be using it if he's dead. No, but we've discussed in the past on previous episodes that maybe the tail is a stand-in for the soul. Yeah. Maybe the tail is a stand-in for some elements of identity, the personal elements of yourself that you don't always share with people. And so I can see arguments for including that in a coffin. But I can also see the absolute opposite arguments, right? That when someone is gone, you want to remember the things that they were. Like, I didn't bury my dad's clapperboard from when he used to do his documentary films. I kept it because I want to see that all the time. Mm. I want to be reminded of him. And so, in a way, Lil Mai's desire for a tail muff is a way of, like, remembering the marvellous tailed squirrel. And making him part of the world. As Tutiki says, like things grow from the ground where people are buried. But that's only one way that, that we reconnect with the cosmos. Another way might be being made into earmuffs. But another thing that it made me think about is there is a variety of different feelings about the wholeness of a corpse and right. the effects of that on you in the afterlife there are a lot of people who for example are not comfortable with organ donation because they feel that you need to be whole to access the next stage for example one of the things that's so bad about the fact that we have dug up egyptian mummified corpses and chopped them up and passed them around is the people who did that the people who were buried in those ways believed that their body needed to be whole to be in the afterlife, to be whole and together. Like they believed that you needed your name written on your coffin and that your whole body needed to be there. Ancient Egyptian 
people who were trying to spite the dead. It was bad enough just to rub out the name. Yeah. And it also reminds me of like putting the coins on eyes. Yeah. So that you can pay your toll to the ferryman. Yes. In Greek mythology uh, and Roman mythology, because they're the same. (laughs) There's a respect element. There's the kind of modern, like open casket. Like you have to see the whole body and they have to be made Mm. as beautiful as possible and not like a dead body. Yeah. There's lots of different approaches people can take. In terms of like cremation, which I dig a little bit more than than burial personally, there's people now who like take the ashes and put them into rings Mm. and have them with them, which is very much like Little Maya and Emma. There's basically multiple attitudes to death that people have. And they're very idiosyncratic and personal. They're also very cultural. Yeah. And, you know, all of these different things, like in many African countries, white is the color of mourning, Mm. Um, you know, and dancing and wailing and all of these things is the way to deal with grief rather than this kind of stoic. Wearing black, not saying anything, being quiet. Yeah. I mean, and we have like touches of that, like the Irish do at least, like Mm. they they have people who are like wailers as well. Um, And they have like wakes where you get really drunk and wild. Yeah. But they are also in comparison to the Dowerness. They have both. Yeah. There's no right or wrong answers to death. And I feel like this book is quite respectful, or at least too ticky, as the wise woman of the book gives respect to both of them. She says, you're both right. Yes. And that's a great moment. I mean, that's a great moment where she's saying two truths, multiple truths can coexist. And it's the same with all of these death things. Like, it's true that you should be respectful to death. It's true that you should play on graves, as Emily Dickinson put it. Yeah. All of these things are true at the same time, and it's not wrong to have any of those feelings. Maybe the only thing that's wrong is to disrespect other people's feelings. We do not play on graves because there isn't room Besides, it isn't even, it slants and people come and put a flower on it and hang their faces so we're fearing that their hearts will drop and crush our pretty play and so we move as far as enemies away just looking round to see how far it is occasionally. That's poem 467 from Emily Dickinson, The Complete Poems, written in 1862. And for me, that poem is about why we should play on graves, or why it would be nice if we could play on graves. But other interpretations are available. Why do they all eat pine needles? It's nicer things to eat than pine needles. I know that bears eat pine needles, right? But That's probably why. Yeah, I know, but... They're not bears, they're moomins. They could eat something nice, like blancmange. But I think you want something that sits in the stomach, indigestible, that doesn't move through, that just sort of like fills you up. They're probably very fibrous. Quite a lot of work, though. They'll have to like (laughs) chew for hours. I mean, maybe they boil them and make them soft, but then that kind of takes the reason for doing it off them. No, I think they're probably raw. There's a lot of nice food in the moomin books. We did find... Onion juice, milk. Milk and onion (laughs) juice, yeah. That wasn't nice. This is the second not very nice food in the Moomin books. I feel like if you were someone like Kate Young, who makes nice recipes out of fiction texts, you could probably make a pine-flavoured cake or a biscuit. 
which would be nice, but which would be defeating the point. All right, I got a natural history corner. The first food after the pine needles that we encounter is loganberry syrup. Mm. So loganberries look a bit like a raspberry. What's interesting sort of symbolically about the loganberry is that it is in season at midsummer. It's at the other end right. of the year. More magic, like a stone. A bottled bit of summer mm-hmm. that is there to feed Moomin Troll in the winter. So there's another bit of magic that I thought you would enjoy. I did. Most of the plants mentioned in this first half of the book are deciduous plants. They're fruit trees, they're jasmines, they're reeds. All of these things look completely dead in the winter. Right. If you've seen a jasmine bush in the winter, it just looks like a bunch of dead twigs. Do not clear it out. It will come back to life in spring. Right. Do not pull it up. Death is not the end. Rebirth. Yes, exactly. But it's interesting that she could talk about a fir tree, she could talk about evergreens, but she doesn't really. She's talking about all the things that have this death part of the cycle. Finally. The reason that Moomin Troll wanted to bury the squirrel in that particular spot was because there would be marguerites growing there in the summer. So they look like daisies. They look like what you draw when you draw a flower with like a yellow center and then white petals around the edge. Well, they don't have to be white petals. There's whole different families of marguerites. So they might be purple or pink or whatever, lots of different colors. But white is the classic. That we yeah, think of. And they're used very symbolically a lot of the time. So they can symbolize innocence, purity, the fragility and beauty of life. You know, they've been used in paintings like that by Renoir and Van Gogh and all these people. There's links to Ophelia in Hamlet. Yeah, I knew you were going to bring her up again. Well, because we've already spoke to her, haven't we? Got to get in an Ophelia reference as much <laughs> as we can. So she's passing them out in Hamlet as a sort of. I've lost my mind moment. We've got a lot of like Papa's things. It's a little bit he's taken on the man of the house thing. Papa's asleep. I have to be the man of the house. I have to be responsible for all the stuff that we own and get stressed out. He always does this anyway. (laughs) He does it in all the books. Even when they're awake, he still is like, leave Papa's thing or leave Mama's thing. He's always guarding the property of the house. (laughs) It feels particularly patriarchal here. I don't know. Well, it's the use of the word daddy a lot. Yeah, it's that. And that's a Warburton decision, I think, because I think yeah. in, in other books it might have been Papa. Yeah, you're probably right. And then it's Mama's tray that little Mai is using as a sleigh. Yeah, Mama's tea cozy. Yeah. And I like that Two Tiki's got this like snuffkin-like attitude, like you said, that she's like, isn't that nice that people are taking some of your things got too much stuff yeah divest yourself let it go i think there's a very um anti-materialistic streak to two ticky yeah she's very about the experience and she's not much about the ownership she's happy to part own the bathing house she's like i'm all right with it being daddy's in the summer in the winter he's not using it i can use it i don't even think she thinks of it as ownership either like it's just where she stays she makes things out of snow and that is like the most ephemeral kind of property right are you ready for what would snufkin do I'm always ready for what would snufkin do although maybe we should be doing what would two ticky do 
At this point in the episode, we like to ask the question to our inner Snufkins, what would Snufkin do? We'd really like you, the listener, to send in your questions for Snufkin. Yeah. Uh, they can be any kind of question. They can be ephemeral. They can be material. We'll take them all. And the way that you do it is you drop us a tweet or a direct message on Twitter or Instagram at the Pod Goblin. That's what we're called on those. You could also send us an email with a podgoblin at gmail.com. But this week, we're going to go from the existential crisis of Moomin Troll to the existential crisis of Dave. Hooray. So my question <laughs> for Snufkin is... What the heck do I do with my life? And what path should I walk going forwards? I am 41, same age as Moomin Papa and, and Tuvo when she met Tutiki. I have just comfortably and compassionately and wonderfully split up with somebody that I was with for more than half my life. I have made creative stuff that I've been proud of and got as successful as those avenues were going to get me. And I don't know if I should keep on following those avenues or completely start new ones. I am a freelancer, but I don't really make enough money from that to live. I am currently cohabiting in a house with my ex-partner and great friend, but that's not going to last forever. And I need to work out what to do. Snufkin, please help me. Oh, listener, I wish this was a video podcast just <laughs> for that question. There was so much gesticulating. Yeah, so this is the biggest, broadest question for Snufkin. Yep. Which way should you go for your act two? I mean, you know that Snufkin wouldn't tell you which way to go because he doesn't do that. <laughs> no. All the usual Snufkin-isms apply pack up your tent. You have been doing that, right? I have been trying to embrace my inner snufkin, it's true. You've been looking in different places, talking to different people. Have you been playing yourself songs on your mouth organ? I've been making some playlists, which I guess is a version of that. Yeah. I haven't played as much of my actual instruments that I play as I would have liked, partly because I've got a bit of arthritis in my hands. But I have been listening to songs newly in a new way, definitely. I've mm -hmm. been finding songs that chime with my experiences. I've been playing uh, Flowers by Miley Cyrus, that kind of thing. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's fitting. Yes. It is very fitting. We were good, we were gold, kind of dream that can't be sold. We were right. Till we weren't built a home and watched it burn. going to unfurl from here i guess snufkin would say you don't actually have to choose right now 
you feel, like Moomin Troll in this book, a desire for certainty. I do, yeah. Stability, at least. Yeah. Maybe you feel a bit lonely because, you know, you're in this new and different world from what you were in before, and you loved the world you were in before and the relationship you were in before, and you're feeling the space that that has left, and maybe that's uncomfortable. But you're doing fine. Like, whatever you're doing right now is what you need to do right now. There isn't a time limit, Snufkin would say, on your next path. Whatever you do will become the path. It isn't already set. That's true. Although I think that's almost more Tutiki advice. Tutiki might say, there's no answer and that's okay. Snufkin might say that, but he would be maybe more interested in getting you to just start walking down the path. And I have done that. Yeah, you, you've already been doing that. And it, the problem is with the world we inhabit, it doesn't make it easy to have space to contemplate and think mm. and explore because the material conditions of life mean that I can't take forever to work out what to do with my life because I need to pay the bills and I need to have a house. Sure. So you can't wait forever to decide how you're going to make money but you can sort of wait forever to decide where your heart's going that's true you know like that stuff you know what your next great work of art is going to be who your next great love is going to be you can just take as long as it takes i might have multiple loves i'm not necessarily restricting it to one great love i just said next not okay, one but at the same time is what i'm saying oh okay yeah if you want who knows <laughs> I am being as snuffkin as possible. I might be super monogamous. I might have like a, a wild relationship anarchy approach. I'm not deciding, uh, which I guess means I'm already taking his advice. You're already doing it. The real thing is that what I need to do is lock down my tent, lock down my mouth organ. Like snuffkin can be the way he is in the world because he is a hobo and he has embraced that life, worked out how to do it. And then it allows him to be that yeah and i need to work out a few of the very simple material things yeah. that will allow me to live the questioning interested open lifestyle of which i want mm. thank you everybody and nina for indulging me <laughs> it's become like a regular feature of like what's dave's big problem let's talk about it on a moving <laughs> podcast this is why we need you to send in your questions listeners yeah <laughs> I mean, there's only so many breakups Dave can go through for the sake of the podcast. It's true. <laughs> so our next regular feature on the podcast is the Spirit of the Moomins, where we each recommend for you every week a piece of art a piece of work that reminds us in some way of the moomins and dave's up first this week so my spirit of the moomins this week is nimona specifically the animated film of nimona that you can find on netflix which i've watched but i'm pretty sure that i also recommend the graphic novel it's based on i just haven't read that yet the graphic novel is by nd stevenson a brilliant non-binary artist that was the showrunner for she-ra and the princesses of power the titular character of Nimona is kind of little Mai, and that's why I'm recommending Nimona. She is a teenage monster 
who just is very punk rock and has a lot of opinions and is great. It's about the first commoner who gets to become a knight to protect the realm from monsters, who is called Ballista Boldheart. And it's the big ceremony. And at the end of that ceremony, instead of getting knighted, he ends up accidentally killing the queen that was going to knight him because his sword has been booby-trapped. It wasn't him. And then he sets out to try and clear his name, but he becomes the big villain of the kingdom and he teams up with a sidekick, (laughs) Nimona, who he doesn't know at first necessarily is a monster, but he comes to know she is not just a monster, but the monster that this whole kingdom was founded in fear of. And so they go about clearing both their names in a brilliant way. It's got lots of queer romance. Ballista has a boyfriend who is another knight and they're on different sides, but eventually they'll come together. Ooh, enemies to lovers. Well, no, lovers to enemies to lovers. Okay. They start as lovers. And yeah, just a lot of little my energy. It works for young children, I think. It also works for older people like me. Show it to anyone you can. It's great. So what's your spirit of the moomins this week, Nina? I've got two. Whoa! I know. Is that allowed? Is that allowed? I've decided it's allowed because they're both very short and because they thematically go together quite well. They are both short stories by women whose names start with a J. So (laughs) the first one is The Horse in the Snow by Jeanette Winterson. It is a short story that, She wrote for Christmas for The Guardian in 2005. And if this isn't inspired by the Moomins, I will eat my proverbial hat. She is officially a fan of the Moomins. Yeah. She's written uh, for The Guardian about her love of the Moomins. So it probably is. It probably is. And I've got a small excerpt to read out to you to prove that it's inspired by the Moomins. So the main character who is in first person, is driving their car to a Christmas party and then suddenly a blizzard and suddenly a figure stepped out into the road. The face looking in at me was red and wild, with a black beard and black eyes. He had a hat pulled down low and his mouth was a slot of teeth, like a grook. He was the rough shape of a human. Can you give me a ride? Not far, not far at all. Are you broken down? I am, yes. Where's your car? I never said anything about a car. I was uneasy, but he'd already opened the door and was standing, letting the wind blow in, snow hanging from his beard. Can you take me as far as the Merrymouth Inn? It was on my way. I couldn't say no. He got in. The temperature in the car dropped. I presumed it was the ice on his clothes. When you said like a groke, that was an aside, right? It was an aside. (laughs) Thought so. Just thought I probably should clarify it. I've not read that story. I look forward to reading it. It's a really good short story. I love her writing. I love her writing. I've read a number of her books, so I uh, will no doubt check that out. It is available for free on The Guardian, listener. We'll link it up in the show notes and you can hop right over there. We're not endorsing The Guardian, but we are endorsing free things. We are endorsing Jeanette Winterson and free short stories. A second short story that I'm recommending is called Snow Horse and it's by Joan Aiken. I know this one. I didn't find this one anywhere for free. I found it in this collection called Snow Horse and Other Stories, but it's possibly also in some earlier short story collections by Joan Aiken. It was written in 1982. It's very thematically Moominland Midwinter. It's about death, it's about snow, 
It's about horses. It's set in Scotland in a little inn where they do pony trekking trips. But it's about the winter when there's no clients coming and there's just this really claustrophobic feeling at the top of the mountain. It's got a main character who was found in a basket in the snow like a snuffkin. It's got somebody making a horse out of snow and the horse has eight legs. It's really good. I really like it. I will warn you that the disability rep is very 1982. Yeah. So go forewarned, but I really liked it. Great. They sound like good recommendations. Next, we've got A Spirit of the Pod Goblin's Hat, a work of critical fandom. It's what it's called, like ours. My Spirit of the Pod Goblin's Hat this week. So this year, I have been playing a lot of computer games. I like computer games and I'm newly intoxicated by them. During my time playing computer games, one thing I was surprised to discover was how many of them are all about the romance. This year, I played Mass Effect, the Mass Effect trilogy, and that is really heavily about the romances. And so because I became obsessed with Mass Effect, I went looking for Mass Effect podcasts. Okay. I found my way to one of my favorite podcast discoveries of recent times. It's called Two Girls, One Ship. It is a podcast where two semi-anonymous people, they're both women, Genesis and Vivada, maybe they're their real names, but I don't think they are, <laughs> but they talk about and review video game romance. So they've reviewed all of the romances in Mass Effect, but they've also reviewed the Witcher romances. One of them reviews more from the point of view of romance, and the other one reviews more from the point of view of sex but they both comment on both of those two strands of what it is to have relationships with people and yeah i just really love it i really love the way they talk about it they're just going through each romance and just really like honing in on the romance things that make that exciting the things that transfix them they're very critical as well as positive there's a lot of badly done sex and romances in computer games so yeah two girls one ship brilliant name brilliant show it's a really good name just a lot of fun and i think that it'll work even if you don't play computer games i think that if you have a general interest in romance then this might be a good thing to put into your arsenal. That's my spirit of the Bug Goblins hat this week. Excellent. Sadly, I'm not that into computer games or into romance, so I almost definitely wouldn't like it. Yeah, I did think that. I'm really not into it. It turns you off completely. Yeah. <laughs> you don't mind a little bit of like seeing the romance of Moomin Troll and Snufkin. Sure. Because it's not fully canon. Yeah, but also if it was all it was about, I'd be bored. Yeah. Whereas I'm like, ooh, I think Moomin Troll and Tutiki have got a spark. I know you love romance. You're like, no, they don't get on. How's that romance? <laughs> That's all for episode 13. But before we go, here are the tiny cliffhangers for next week's episode. Will the snow horse ever be seen again? Who is the dweller under the sink? And will little Mai ever feel sorry? Until next week, when we will be reading the second half of Moominland Midwinter, be careful who you steal your flocks of wool from. Bye! Bye.